Hi, everybody. My name is Christian Cison, and I'd like to welcome you all to the March edition of the Third Fridays podcast. This month, my guest is my fellow partner, Tashia Razul. Welcome to the show. Hi, Christian. Thank you for having me. It's been a while. Actually, we were going over some pre-show discussion, and you mentioned the last time you were on the show, we were recording it in the friendly confines of my office. Yes. So I think, uh, you know, We've we've come a long way, right? There's this isn't even a kill room anymore because there's like fancy law books around here, uh, so we've stepped it up. It sure is. It's a right? big step up. I feel like I'm in a real studio. Oh wait, it is real. Studio. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how long this podcast has been going on? Just just take a guess. Um, two years. Yeah. Right. Isn't that yes. crazy? Right. I remember the first time I recorded with you, we were. Downstairs. Downstairs in a completely different location. Right. Um, and we were just recording in a, a conference room, an extra conference room. Right. I think had. we might have kicked some people out yes. <laughs> to record it. Uh, yeah. So everybody, uh, today we're going to talk about um, penalties and compliance. Uh, I know it's it's been a little bit of a struggle to uh, adapt to uh, reporting and compensability uh, as articulated by the boards and in, in those administrative decisions that they file, right? You know, um, mm-hmm. penal, penalty in, in the amount of X to carrier Y for not filing a first report of injury. Uh, so we're going to talk about that in conjunction with the New York webinar series, which uh, ha- is a 101 level uh, educational program every month. It's on the third Monday. So that would be the 20. No, the 18th, uh, a week from uh, a week from today, which is the 11th, and essentially that webinar is linked with ours. So ours is supposed to be the 201 level. Today we're going to talk about how we uh, defend from day one in contemplation of those penalty situations, right? So, Tashia, th- there's definitely a difference between reporting an accident as alleged to you to the board versus making a decision that something like that is compensable, right? Oh, yes, of course. And it's important to understand and be aware of the distinction because the timelines are different. Right. Um, But more importantly, starting from the very first day, defending from day one, as you love to say, is very, very important (laughs) because it can help um, with the investigation. It can help to obtain and preserve evidence. Mm -hmm. It can help in making a proper decision with regards to acceptance or denial of a claim. It can also help with timely filings with the board. So I think once we start from the very first day getting all of the information we need, speaking with the witnesses, it can set up the case in a very good um, timeline so that everything else falls into place and thereby avoiding those penalties. Right. So let's talk a little bit about those timelines, right? Um, The 1810 rule is something that's uh, been thrown out, and it's always good to remind everybody what uh, that actually is. Uh, Essentially, 18 days after what the law deems a disability event, uh, or the accident as I like to make it clear, or 10 days after the employer has knowledge of the accident, a first report of injury should be filed to the board, right? Uh, And that two, those two timelines are together only so insofar as it's the later of the two, right? So whichever is later is your reporting deadline. And that's it's, it's an interesting topic for me because a lot of times the, the two of us will uh, field questions from clients about these prospective claims or, you know, they just heard that an accident happened, what do we do, right? And a lot of times 
I'd like to tell them that the first thing we should do is actually report that it's happened, right? Because when you're, t when you're filing that first report of injury to the board, you're not telling the board, I'm definitely paying this claim because I think it's compensable. It's, you're just com dealing with compliance. You're yes. saying, this is something I'm reporting to you because it's been reported to me, right? And keeping that in mind actually puts you on the path that you were just talking about, like investigating properly because if you get it in your head that you should be reporting it to the board, then you're already on that track to talk to a supervisor of, of the claimant, to talk to witnesses, uh, to take any accident photos or video of the location. And, and those are things that, you know, as we know, the longer you take to do those things, uh, you know, witnesses' uh, minds can not be as refreshed. Or they're no longer working and they're, you can't get in touch no with them. They're no longer working for them. Uh, you know, something might happen to the location. Uh, the project might end, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, or they've spoken with a claimant and then oh, right, they don't want right. to testify you know, or produce anything. You know, where the claimant after. and the supervisor, the claimant and the witness are friends, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of times, we, you know, those are things we can't, there are a lot of things we can't prevent, certain things like that. So I think it really reinforces what we should be doing from uh, day one. Um, so the compensability timeline is really based on a notice of indexing, right? Yes. So. The notice of indexing is a board, is the board essentially compiling all the data that it has about the claim and indexing it against a particular insurance company as linked to an employer and saying, you have 25 days from this date to make your decision, right? So two different timelines at play here. One, an accident happens, we report it. The other is, okay, now the board has enough information, they're going to index the claim and give you 25 days to respond, yes. right? And, you know, so the 25 days, it might seem like a long time, but it's really not. Oh, it's, it's calendar days, not business days. So, you know, you, you know those, those days really, really move fast, like you said. Uh, and it's also unpredictable because you, there's no set time when the notice of indexing comes. Correct, yes. So sometimes we have claims where there may never be a notice of indexing. Right. And some of them, as soon as the first document's filed, two days later, there's right. a notice of indexing. It might be the first thing in the file, yes. right? a notice of indexing, mm -hmm. uh, because it can, uh, which actually is a good point, too, because if you try to wait on your reporting requirement, if the claimant files a C3, mm -hmm. a notice of indexing could be filed then. Yes. So a notice of indexing could be filed before you report that it actually happened, and then that looks a little bad, because it's like you've, if, if the claimant knows that it happened, then you should know and why haven't you reported right. it? What are you exactly. doing? Yes. Exactly. Okay. So two different two different penalty uh, timelines. There would usually be an administrative decision if uh, our clients don't file that first report of injury for either one of those scenarios. Uh, obviously, the, the more uh, troublesome deadline is when they don't file uh, any reporting after the uh, compensability timeline runs out, right? So oh, yes. Waiver of defenses, we hear 25-2B. Uh, basically all the time. It's basically a claimant's attorney looking <laughs> at the date, extrapolating that out 25 days, and they're like, oh, I guess I don't have to do as much work, mm -hmm. right, to, to uh, establish a claim, which is uh, certainly a, a problem for our side. So, Tashia, you, you are, the, uh, you are the, the leader of our burgeoning construction practice team. So uh, tell us a little bit about how construction claims are different and why investigation is more nuanced for those claims. Okay, so as you know, they are different because they're more complex. There's a number of parties involved. It's a big construction project. There's a 
general contractors, subcontractors, sub, sub, sub. And right. one well, of plural, the plural, like, <laughs> yes, yeah, many of them. And <clears throat> the problem is, a lot of times the claimants don't even know who they're working for, right. right? Right. So a lot of a lot of them get pulled into the case in the beginning. Sometimes you'll see a number of notes of uh, indexing. Um, one employer is pulled in, then we go to court, and we're like, "Oh wait, we're not the proper employer. We have to bring in another." And before you know it, they're five carriers and notice, five employers and notice. Sure. Now, in terms of doing the investigation, we have to ensure we're talking to everyone on the job site. And the way the construction claims work, um, the projects that we've seen is that they have a designated team. That's interesting. Th they have a designated team from the onset. Uh, everyone knows who everyone on the team is. So when it's time for the investigation, when everyone's deployed, Everyone knows who they should go talk to, who obtains certain information. So it's important in those kinds of cases because the projects can end at any time. The claimants are um, union workers. I, I, I'm sorry, the, the, the workers are unions, so they can be on the job one day and they're not there the next day. They're not right, there the next right. day. The same for like the shop stewards, the, the supervisors, the foremen. They get moved around from project to project. Um, so in terms of capturing evidence, it's, it, it, it becomes very time sensitive because it can be there today and it's not there tomorrow. So one of the things that the construction programs do, they set up a designated team so everyone knows who the on-site person to whom an injury is supposed to report, be reported is. There is a set, um, uh, procedure for reporting the accident. So it's reported to this one person, it's written, it's sent to this other person who keeps it. Um, that is then sent to the employer. There's also, so I briefly mentioned, multiple employers can be brought into a case. Each of these employers- And they will be. And they yeah. will be, yeah. yes. Yeah. Each of these employers have their point person who's also on this team because they're working collectively on the project, right? Right, they have a shared interest. <clears throat> yes. Which is um, problematic sometimes too, because if you're a claimant who, uh, you know, if you let's say you're it's your first day on the job, uh, and you are given direction as to what you're doing that day from the company that you're working for, the person who's making giving you your paycheck for the work performed, you know, there might be other employers with foremen or forewomen, general contractors with individuals who may direct you to do other work on the site. Yes. Right? So there might there's a lot of like players and teams within that one project that can lead someone, like you said, to not know who their employer truly exactly, is. Exactly, yes. So that's you know, so that also makes it complex. But one of the so one of the key things is to get out to the job site on the day of the accident or as close as in, in time as possible. Right. 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 Most of the times we know that the accident has occurred within about a week or so because either the claimant reports it, whether the accident happened or not, they tell their supervisor something, or they go to the medic and then right. a report gets back to the employer, or they don't come back to work the next day and they Where tell... Where are you? What yes, happened? exactly. So usually within the first week, we're aware that something is alleged to have happened, right? And... So in the, in the construction um, projects, what they do is they send us an investigator within that first week, preferably. Sometimes right, it right. gets delayed for reasons beyond you know, everyone's control. 
But the key is to go out there the very first moment you can, speak with all of the key parties, all of the employers. And remember, they have this list going. I think it's important to have that team set up before an accident even happens. Right. So it's once it happens, the process can start. Right. And I, I know that you know for our construction claims, uh, we uh, well, for all of our claims, we like to be involved from the very beginning to facilitate our role and give tips and pointers as to how uh, to conduct accident investigations because we know what we're going to need to produce as evidence at trial. You know, you talk a lot about, you know, the point person for each team, uh, each employer, right? But those are all people that we need to know as well because we would need to put them on a pre-hearing conference statement. Yes, right? and you know, so essentially we need to be on that team. We need to be a part <laughs> right. of the team, right? Right, and pick this, me, coach. Yes. <laughs> and... Um, so this is something I tell my clients, we should have these milestone calls and it should be within 48 hours of an accident. So we can put our two cents about, you know, how we expect it to go from the workers' compensation side. Because as you know, the majority of these uh, construction claims have a companion third party or general liability claim. Of course, claims, why right? would they be filing a, a claim uh, well, like, Exactly, <laughs> right? And because they're almost all falling from a ladder or scaffold right. or something like that right. that would trigger New York labor law, right? right? And to, to be, you know, not to be, uh, you know, too uh, dismissive of, the, of those claims in general, uh, you know, you do have to say that the, there are legitimate, you know, uh, slip and fall claims on a construction site, legitimate accident claims where the person has a, a viable workers' comp NGL claim that's 100% clean and compensable. Of course. But that's why the investigation can get us there. Yes. Right? Because when we do wait, any delay could cause us to possibly deny claims that are truly compensable and also uh, accept claims because we haven't given ourselves the opportunity to investigate them. Right. Right. So you talked a lot about these, you know, uh, these initial calls. Uh, what are some of the things that you would ask as, as, you know, as part of the team to, to the person that is on the other side of these calls? Okay. So I usually start with the, the, the basic, tell me, tell me what you know, right? right? Who reported it to you? Was it the claimant himself or was it someone else? If it was someone else, where did that someone else get the information from? Then we need to go to that source. Was it the, the medic? Was it the, the, the supervisor? Um, did they document it? That's very, right. very important. Right. Was it documented? Was an accident report filed? Did the claimant sign it? How did the claimant leave the premises? Did they walk off the premises or did the ambulance come and get them? That makes a big difference, right? right? Do you know whether they went home that night and went to the doctor the next day or... You know, what are the circumstances surrounding those? Um, do you have your investigator lined up to go out to the job site? You know, get your investigator there. Um, we know that the supervisor is John Smith. Have him speak to John Smith right, right away. Ask John Smith who else was on the team that day. Did he observe the claimant working? We need eyewitnesses. Right. right? All of those things that you're asking, too, it's, it's almost, it almost pushes the client if they haven't done it, to get it, yes. right? So like, um, for instance, you know, in construction uh, cases, the person who might be writing down the report, uh, unless they have a designated team, like they're becoming, you know, they're, these claims are becoming more nuanced. I, you know, I remember, you know, litigating these types of claims long ago where the person would be taking down the report, you know, isn't necessarily the right person to do so, right? And 
Uh, I think we're, uh, you know, construction teams are becoming more, uh, they're becoming more involved to the point where the right people are in place to provide the information from point A to B to C to D yes. and get, get us to the place where it becomes a real informed decision. Because that's honestly what this, the, the workers' compensation system is designed for, right? You, you make an informed decision on compensability so that an, a truly injured worker is being compensated and one who's not truly injured uh, is told to go back to work, essentially, because this is not... Uh, compensable under the law mm-hmm. um, or seek treatment elsewhere, right? Yes. Uh, okay, so there's a lot of things that go on when we're having those conversations. And, and you know, one thing I like uh, to tell people too is that, you know, when you have questions, they lead to more questions and that's okay, right? So, you know, you might ask a question, did you document it, right? And their question might be, oh, does, you know, so-and-so was supposed to do that it's like okay well let's follow up with that person and it leads us down this rabbit hole because that person may know a witness and then that witness needs to get a statement taken down by an investigator that investigator needs to speak with us to coordinate what what like questions need to be asked uh in terms of uh you know legal compensability and the whole circle becomes this kind of like maze where you know, it can get very hectic, right? They, oh, yes. they could get very, very confusing as to who's doing what, when, and where. Right. Right. So, um, is that is that does that kind of ch- is it kind of challenging? I guess to 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 deal with all of that. I would so, so it's very challenging because a lot of times there's no. Um, I feel like when an accident occurs, even though we have this team, there's no communication in the beginning. And it's it's difficult to say why there isn't, and I mean in terms of like the individuals in the job site, right? Right, right. Um, I think maybe it's because of the circumstances. Maybe the supervisor is not on site, so it's reported to like this random person who the claimant believed to have been his supervisor. So now we need to track down that person. And yes, the claimant told him, but an accident report was not completed. So sometimes because of whatever's going on in the project on that particular day, the, 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 the preferred procedures are not followed. And that's what sometimes makes it challenging, right? right, right. The other thing is, even when the procedures are, are followed and everyone on the team is aware and they did what they're supposed to do, the time, it's very, it's very time sensitive. You're sure. trying to get everything within 24 hours or 48 hours, preserve all of the evidence, right? And it's, it's getting everything done, organizing the investigator to go out there, getting the reports, getting the medicals, um, you know, uh, maybe sending a nurse case manager out if it's a very severe injury to see what's going on with the claimant and his treatment, getting all of that information. And then, like we talked about earlier, the timeline with the filing in the board, sometimes a notice of indexing can be filed, like, within a week, right? Because right. The claimant got injured. He went to his attorney who was already lined up waiting for him. So he filed <laughs> his C3 two days later. And then by the end of the week, the board has filed a notice of indexing, and we right. have 25 days to make a decision, right? right? And at that point, you you might even lose your connection to the claimant because you weren't defending as aggressively from day one. Right. Uh, and it's important to make sure that those relationships are, are known and, uh, you know, I guess produced, right? You know, the more that is reported to us, the more questions we can ask to get you to that informed point of view, yes. right? 
Okay. And also, and also, so so I did touch upon like sometimes um, the the process is deviated from. There should always be a backup. So oh, in, course, in right. you know, in yeah. addition to having this team, there should always be like this backup person, and that's something I stress with my clients. Well, you know, if this supervisor is on vacation, we need to know who's going to be the backup person right. to whom the, the accidents are supposed to be reported, right? And I think that helps to alleviate some of the challenges. But I think overall. Because of the timeline and the, the number of different parties and the kind of evidence we're trying to preserve, that's what makes it challenging. Right. So uh, really, the, the interplay uh, on the comp side uh, is, is certainly important for our case as well. Uh, but how would they be useful for you know, a, a liability claim? All right, so the compensation, the workers' compensation claim, work, uh, it, it moves way faster than a general liability claim, right? And as we know, the claimants and their attorneys use the comp claim to drive the liability sure, claim. Sure. So first they need to do is establish that there was a work-related accident, they get all of the body parts in, they undergo all of the surgeries, and they use that in the general liability case, right. right? Well, look, my guy, he was so injured, he he, he can't even walk now, he, he can't right. go back to work. Look what the state board said. They <laughs> authorized a neck, back, knee, shoulder, and pinky toe surgery. Yes, <laughs> and now he has a site claim, all oh, because right. of this and accident. And he's been, he, yes. <laughs> right? He has, he has major depression now. Yes. Um, so one of the things that we focus on, on the, in, in the comp cases is the issue of collateral estoppel, right? So this is why we need to aggressively defend the workers' compensation claims because of the issues identical on the, um, the third party or the GL claim, collateral estoppel can come into play and help to um, uh, curb exposure on the GL side. So for right. example, um, the claim starts as, let's say, a shoulder claim and right. the claimant is trying to get the neck and the back in. Right. We are very, very aggressive on the comp side to prevent the neck or the back because right. it'll drive up the compensation, the, the exposure in the compensation claim. But as you know, the, the compensation and in, in, um, the exposure in compensation claims is, is so much less than sure. the seven finger potential exposure in yeah. the GL claim, right? Yeah, these additional sites you know, uh, have been a problem for comp claims forever yes. right and uh to link it back to what we were discussing you know one of the things i like to defend additional sites with are those initial incident reports yes right you know like if you had a neck like injury why wasn't it reported in your initial uh incident documents you know and uh that's why that that just taking it to that first few days where you're completing paperwork mm -hmm. can really help you if that process is airtight uh you know and now you're bringing in stuff on the liability claim you know we're talking about you know something so small seemingly mm -hmm. having an effect in different forums in front of different judges different attorneys all and <laughs> would all shift back to what was on this initial form yeah right so it's it's certainly very important um you know there's obviously a, a, a complex juxtaposition between a, a workers comp claim and a general liability claim in, in, in most scenarios, but a construction scenario even more so because of the players involved. Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so the other, the other thing is too, um, one, one of the reasons uh, it, it's so important to focus on the investigation in the, the comp side is um, the disclosure 
uh, issues. Okay. You know, so on the GL side, the disclosure rules are different from the comm side. So, for example, if we have surveillance, which my clients do conduct surveillance within like that first week right. of the right. accident, right? And sometimes use it in determining whether the claim should be compensable or denied if the claimant's a fraud and so forth like that. So it's important to have that done in the workers' compensation claim first because we can use that to set up the posture, right? to, to posture the claim, right. right? However, you can't do that on the GL side because they have to disclose that they have surveillance and things like that. Right. So, you know, I think that's, that's something else that... Um, that's very important on the compensation side. We're focusing on the things that we can actually obtain and disclose um, before it gets to the GL side of, of the claim. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, you know, if, if the, you know, the, the claimant side is going to beef up the GL claim by adding all the exposure on the comp claim first, then it makes more sense to attack, uh, you know, certain things like fraud on the comp claim. Yes. Uh, and, you know, vice versa, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, we have something planned, right? As a firm, uh, you know, you are going to be a, a lead speaker or lecturer at uh, some crazy big event <laughs> coming up. So uh, uh, tell our, our loyal listeners uh, what's going on with you. Okay, so this week I'm going down to Orlando to the CLM conference. It's the national one. And um, I am part of a panel discussing the importance of coordinating um, defense in the workers' compensation and general liability claims. So I will be discussing, um, you know, the, the purposes and the goals of coordination and how it can be beneficial to the employers. And we will be focusing on um, how to do the investigation in the workers' compensation side and defend uh, the workers' compensation claim and use that in the GL side. We'll also be talking about uh, global settlements. You know, it's the, the, the key way that the employers in these construction claims can save money, right? By um, trying to settle out the comp claim for a nominal amount or zero dollars and uh, focus in on the the general liability claim, right, right, um, because the, the the medical exposure, especially in the workers' compensation claim, can arise tremendously after he's undergone like a number of surgeries and so forth. So we try to close that out as soon as possible, and um, you know, so we'll also be talking about these teams that you know I mentioned earlier. What what needs to be done even before the accident happens? So we're going through. Um, how important it is. And so on the, on, on the panel, we have a broker, we have an employer, and we have a GL attorney, and I'll be the workers' comp defense attorney. So we will be discussing viewpoints from uh, all of us and how important it is. We're also going to be talking about milestones where we believe phone calls should happen. So as I right. mentioned earlier, the first one should be within 24 hours or 48 hours where everyone's on the line talking right, about Right, keep how, everybody informed. Yes. Right. And, you know, the other milestones are like if there's a surgery or if the judge and the workers' compensation claim find that the claimant's no longer entitled to indemnity benefits or something like that, or there's a fraud finding. Right. So we'll be talking about how those can be used to help the GL claim. Also, how information from the GL claim can be used in the workers' compensation claim. So, for example, oh. deposition transcripts. 50H. Where 50H, yes, yes, for our public entities. Um, I've recently had a case where I used a 50H transcript to get 
body parts disallowed in the workers' compensation That's claim. Sounds excellent. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's helpful. It works in the other side, too, even though the comp drives it. So right. I'm very excited to be discussing those issues with my peers, and it's going to be on Thursday. Well, you say that, but uh, not ma- not many people are up to your level. That's what the uh, as a peer. So oh, uh, I want to uh, promote you, and it's it's kind of funny actually because this podcast is going to go uh, live on Friday, uh, the fifteenth, and you will have already given your presentation yes. by then. So uh, to to all of our people listening here, uh, please know that you know it's not something you can sign up for after you hear it. But because it's already happened and we're going to learn some uh, new information at that uh, conference, we're going to meet uh, a lot of interesting people and, and new people trying to enter in our industry, uh, please feel free to, to give Tashia a shout uh, and ask, you know, what, what kind of things go on, went on at that conference because uh, we're, we're a very educational uh, outfit here. You know, yeah. we want to make sure that our clients are as informed as we are as to little nuanced things of the law. So, uh when you hear this, don't think that you have the opportunity to go see Tashia in person in Orlando, <laughs> right? Maybe next year. Uh, but right. certainly, uh, I want to invite everybody to to contact her and, and find out what uh, what went on in, in that big uh, Absolutely. Orlando I'd be conference. more than happy to you know share with everyone. And there's going to be other sessions there, too, that are pertinent to Workers' Comp that I will be attending. So oh, I will be learning. Yes, okay. yes. So a little teaser. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd be happy to share what I learn also. Oh, it's like you're a natural-born charmer. Huh. <laughs> well, wait. I think Christian said that to me this morning. He's a natural-born charmer. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Okay. Well, uh, Tashia, I want to thank you for coming on today. Uh, you know, to everyone here, uh, like I said, I want to, on her behalf, remind you, especially from a construction perspective today, to defend from day one. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thank you.